Chapter Twelve of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. It was about eleven o'clock in the day. The London thunder had not begun. There might be a few carts creeping about the streets, but they crept lazily and almost silently. The rattle of a hackney coach might be heard here and there, but still it was but a temporary rattle and the comparative stillness of the whole town gave a dreamy sort of quietude to the air which was pleasant and full of repose it harmonized well with the character of the day too for it was quite a summer morning the sun was streaming into lady fleetwood's drawing-room sending oblique rays over the corner of the houses of a neighbouring street and the motes were dancing drowsily in the long pencils of light a droning fly which had somehow or other got into a long-necked deep blue carnation glass and could not get out again was buzzing as if it had nearly tired itself to sleep and the waving of the plants at the open windows stirred by a light air had a slumberous sound with it really this is very pleasant thought lady fleetwood as she sat after breakfast enjoying the delicious sensation of life which a fine summer day gives it is all so calm and tranquil that one could almost go to sleep strange strange life that one of thy best blessings should be to lose the consciousness of thine existence she soon found however that to go to sleep was not for her hardly had the thought passed through her brain when a sharp double knock at the door dispelled the stillness and the next moment charles marston the incarnation of mobility entered well my dear aunt he said i have determined upon my course for the day laid out everything in the most methodical and scientific manner and having just half an hour to spare came to bestow it upon you you should really go and see your uncle my dear charles replied lady fleetwood it would have been much better to have given it to him instead of to me for he may well be offended if he hears you have been here twice without going near him you are wrong dearest of aunts you are wrong answered charles you always are sweetly wrong you know most excellent of women i sent half an hour ago to ask if he was at home for although one may have to swallow a bitter pill now and then there is no reason why one should needlessly walk a mile and a half to take it but he was out and so when i go hence i shall diligently pursue him to his dingy hole in the city where pray heaven there may be plenty of business stirring to cut our conference short i am now only waiting for winkworth who is going to the city too i cannot think charles why you should feel such a distaste to your uncle's conversation said lady fleetwood meditating upon the problem everybody admits he is a clever man undoubtedly my dear aunt replied charles but i will tell you why i am not very fond of his conversation it is because that same conversation of his transforms everything into arithmetic now i never had an arithmetical head in my life i know that two and two make four but it has not been the study of my life to discover how many blue beans make five i cannot calculate friendships by the rules of profit and loss nor look on love upon the principles of tear and tret nor subject every feeling of the heart to the computations of the interest table 
nor measure poetry by the square foot nor extract the cube root of an acquaintance's purse in order to estimate how intimate i should become with him nor regulate my own thoughts and wishes by quadratic equations nor always keep my own conduct and purposes within an exact parallelogram the sages of laputa must have been great bores my dear aunt but they were nothing depend upon it to the men of the present day who subject not only their understandings but their very emotions to the stiffest rules of calculation besides the sight of poor miss haley has not altogether taught me to like my uncle better nor has what you said about him it apropos to her lady fleetwood looked scared and in a moment her mind ran back to all that had passed during the preceding evening to ascertain if she could possibly by any blunder have said aught to produce mischief between uncle and nephew why my dear charles she exclaimed i am very sure that i never uttered one word to make you believe that your uncle is at all aware of the poor thing's condition he would be the first i am sure i never said you did my dear aunt he replied interrupting her but you told me he had been angry because you went to see them in their distress at highgate i have a strong notion he did not behave well to poor hayley i remember something of an unsettled account oh but poor uncle always said that as soon as mr hayley produced certain papers he would go into that exclaimed lady fleetwood i remember quite well that hayley always declared there was a large sum due to him fifteen or twenty thousand pounds and he declared once that he would put it into chancery or some law court but he lost heart poor man after the sad business of henry's death and though he talked a great deal he never did anything but now i recollect that was what made your uncle so angry charles he said hayley had defamed him and you know your uncle is always reckoned a highly honourable man though a little too fond of money perhaps rich men are always honourable men replied charles in a graver tone than was customary with him and poor and unfortunate men are great rascals in the world's opinion my dear aunt in this good country of ours wealth does find ways if not to corrupt justice at least to fix the balance and the sword immovable law is too expensive a luxury for poor men to treat themselves to much of it and many an honest cause is lost for fear of the inseparable punishment in this land of seeking right by law i mean expense if not ruin i remember hearing a clerk give a message to hayley exactly to the purport you mention that mr scriven had no time to write but that he would go into the account whenever mr hayley was prepared to produce the papers do you know what hayley replied my dear aunt he was then in a shabby black coat and his face looked as if he had been drinking i must confess but he spoke distinctly and bitterly be so kind as to ask mr scriven he said how i am to do that when all those papers were left here and i have never been able to get them out of this house and with a fierce imprecation upon my uncle's head he walked away without waiting for an answer i was witness to the whole and a sad scene it was oh dear that is very terrible said lady fleetwood but do you think it could be true charles i really do not know my dear aunt 
answered her nephew but i have a sort of feeling that the Haleys have suffered by our family and consequently as i am quite sure this poor thing whom i saw upon frimley common is one of them i have resolved to go down again this very day and see what can be done for her winkworth will go with me and as he is one upon whose advice i can fully rely i shall consult him in regard to all i do for her but dear me then you will not see maria to-day said lady fleetwood she will be here by two o'clock oh yes i shall answered charles we do not set out till three and i shall be back from the city by two lady fleetwood's arrangements were all deranged she had planned a pleasant little dinner-party for charles mr winkworth and maria at which she proposed to engage mr winkworth in conversation with herself while charles and maria would be thrown upon each other's hands entirely and she did not in the least doubt being a fine politician in her way that what between maria's natural charms a sudden meeting after a long absence and a great many other advantages of the same kind love and matrimony would as naturally rise up as the flame of a spirit-lamp when a match is applied to it we must remark that lady fleetwood never doubted for a moment that any of her plans would succeed nor did the experience of more than twenty years during which period every one that she had ever formed had broken to pieces convince her that there was always somehow or another some element wanting in her calculations which ensured their failure she laid defeat upon the back of accident one of the three or four broad-shouldered accessories to human infirmities which bear all the sins and misadventures of the world the scapegoats of conscience and self-reproach accident ill-luck the devil and adverse circumstances are the favourite deputies to whom we transfer the burden of our faults in the present day since zeus and his olympian household are no longer chargeable as in the days of homer perverse mankind whose wills created free charge all their woes on absolute decree all to the dooming gods their guilt translate and follies are miscalled the crimes of fate accident was lady fleetwood's pack-horse and she thought it a most unfortunate accident indeed that charles had arranged to go with mr winkworth into the country that evening rather than stay and fall in love with his cousin upon her plan while she was thinking however of how she could induce him to give up his journey for the day and balancing with nice casuistry whether she ought or ought not to try kindly feeling for poor miss haley pulling her one way and a natural hankering for her own schemes tugging her the other the knocker was again heard doing its function and the servant a moment after announced that mr winkworth was below waiting for mr marston oh ask him up by all means said lady fleetwood i shall be delighted to see him i asked him my lady replied the man but he said he had no time at the present moment lady fleetwood would have pressed the point but charles represented that if they did not set out for the city at once he should not be back in time to see his cousin and ran downstairs without delay under any ordinary circumstances the solitary meditations of a lady on the seer side of fifty can be of no great interest to the general reader there is something in youth in its freshness its vigour its excitability its world of emotions which renders the young mind as well as the young frame 
in its bloom and perfection a pleasant object of contemplation but with age alas it is seldom so i will therefore only say that good lady fleetwood sat and thought for full five minutes of how unfortunate it was that charles should have spoiled her evening plan for his benefit and having no other scheme for making people happy in her own way ready made at the moment she might have gone on for five or even ten minutes more had she not been interrupted by a visit from her brother well that is the most unfortunate thing in the world exclaimed the poor lady as soon as she saw mr scriven's face charles has just this moment gone into the city to call upon you humph said mr scriven i wonder he did not call upon me last night i dare say he was tired poor fellow replied lady fleetwood who had almost always an excuse ready for everybody but he sent the first thing this morning to see if you were at home it would have been better to have come himself rejoined mr scriven dryly then he might have discovered that i was not ten doors off and would return directly now i suppose he will call at the counting-house and finding i have not arrived walk away again i must see him to-day margaret i have some important matters to tell him if he comes back then keep him to dinner and i will come in and join you i cannot do that answered lady fleetwood for he has just told me that he is going down to frimley common at three o'clock what for asked mr scrimmon with a look of surprise lady fleetwood hesitated and her brother's face assumed a stern look is he going to fight a duel asked mr scriven and his poor sister in a fright lest she should produce a wrong impression poured forth the whole story of miss hayley and charles marston's intentions and mr winkworth's kindness in going with him moreover one part of the tale requiring in her estimation explanation by another she went on to give sundry portions of her conversation with her nephew to account for his determination to take care of poor miss hayley which she knew well in its bold state mr scriven would think very absurd romantic and extravagant and she added various hints with regard to what she and charles judged he mr scriven ought to do for the poor lady adding that some people thought the hayleys had not been altogether well treated there was a sort of consciousness in her heart all the time that she was blundering which only made her flounder more and more amongst the shadows into which she had plunged and the deep imperturbable silence with which her brother sat and listened to a long story a thing he was rarely inclined to do only added to her embarrassment when she had done he asked no questions but only raised his eyes to the timepiece and with a last convulsion to get right again or at least to cast the weight from her own shoulders she added well henry i do not understand all these matters as you well know perfectly well rejoined mr scriven and so she continued you had better talk with charles about them yourself i will said mr scriven he will be back from the city before two added lady fleetwood and he sets out for frimley at three ha said mr scriven and now margaret i will go for i do not see anything further that can be gained by staying here now lady fleetwood would have given a great deal to have unloosed his taciturn tongue and discovered what he was going to do next but mr scriven was not inclined that it should be so and took his departure 
he had a brown cabriolet at the door that was an age of cabriolets and when he had got into the vehicle he first turned his horse's head as if he would have driven as usual to his house of business in the city but by the time he had got to the other side of the square he had altered his mind and sweeping round with a swirl he directed his course back to his private residence it was very strange that he should do so for mr scriven was the most methodical of men he arranged in the morning all that he intended to do during the day and on all ordinary occasions he did it but there was something stranger still for notwithstanding his having told lady fleetwood that he must and would see his nephew charles that day he took a very good way of preventing himself from doing so he first looked into a posting-hook then ordered one of his servants to go to the counting-house and say that he should not be there till the next morning and then directed another servant to order a pair of post-horses as soon as they arrived he went out of town End of chapter twelve